0: Welcome to On The Mark, a podcast series that explores the effect on various businesses of the COVID pandemic and how companies have survived, some of them thrived, and how they intend to have their businesses change and and deal with uh, the future after uh, what we've been through in 2020 and, and unfortunately, a little bit beyond. I'm your host, Howard Mark Rubin, and this podcast series came as a result of my realization that as a senior partner of the law firm of Getz Fitzpatrick, representing businesses as an advisor and corporate attorney for over 30 years, that the pandemic has permanently changed the way many businesses have been done in the future, are being done in the future, and how they've survived during the present time. It has such a diverse effect on industries and the people who work in those industries, that I felt it was important to address What's the reality, what's the fiction, and what the future holds? Sponsoring this series of podcasts is the Strategic Forum, which was founded in 1999 in New York City and expanded in 2004 to South Florida in the Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County area. It's an organization consisting of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business leaders who believe in forming deep business and personal relationships based on mutual respect and trust And continual learning and intellectual enrichment. Current membership in the Strategic Forum represents a diverse group from public and private businesses and organizations. Every podcast will have one member of the Strategic Forum and uh, one outside guest who is very prominent in the industry. We have some exciting guests today to discuss COVID's effect on the catering industry in New York City. Joining us, and also a, a Strategic Forum member for many years, is Paul Newman founder and chief inspirational officer of Newman's Kitchen, one of the premier catering businesses in New York and Philadelphia. Paul is empowering clients to convey meaningful stories, creating emotional bonds with guests, using deliciously inspired cuisine and bespoke service. He's been doing that for many years in New York and in Philadelphia, and he's one of the most well-known outside caterers uh, in the business. He's a fourth generation New Yorker in the food business. Paul combines his family history with his artistic background and brings creativity, and inspiration to clients, partners, and team members. Our other guest is Alan Kurtz. Alan has also spent his uh, adult career in the catering business, mostly as managing director of catering halls. He's prominently the managing director of Gotham Grill. He's also uh, the managing director of Ziegfeld Ballrooms, which was added to his portfolio. And he's a lead person on the transformation of these uh, iconic spaces that opened on a schedule in 2017, or Ziegfeld Ballroom opened in 2017. His latest endeavor necessitated by the COVID-19 pandemic has been establishing the BEST, the best task force, which is now part of the National Live Events Coalition. The task force unites New York City event world to return team members to work safely and to provide clients with the utmost confidence when their favorite venues reopen. I hope that soon. Alan's history includes 13 years at Tavern on the Green, from catering sales to catering director to managing director and president. And at that time, that was the highest grossing restaurant in New York. And what a view, I remember it well. The married father of two boys, Alan resides on Long Island and in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. He's an active member for over 20 years with the prestigious New York and Co. Restaurant Committee. He previously served for over 15 years as a board member of the Central Park Precinct Community Council and Fairleigh Dickinson University, his alma mater. So, Paul, let's start, uh, let's start with you. You know, I've done a lot of these podcasts and certain industries have actually benefited uh, by this pandemic. and uh, But the, the industries that I found that have been hurt the most have been the restaurant industries. And, and as a corollary, I think catering is, is uh, very related and closely related to that in the events industry. So why don't you give us an update on how this pandemic generally has affected Newman's Kitchens?
1: Howard, thank you for having me on. Alan, it's good to speak with you, as always. Well, let's just say the COVID-19 pandemic has been like an earthquake during a tsunami um, while you're um, under a volcano. It has devastated our industry. I'm a member of an organization called Leading Caters of America. Of the 63 members in the group, 62 responded that their revenues had been impacted 80% or more negatively meaning their revenues were anywhere from 5% to 20% of what they had been. So it has been the, and it's been the most devastating thing that the off-premise and on-premise catering business has ever experienced in my lifetime. And some of these companies are 70 and a hundred years old. They've never seen anything like it.
0: Well, how do you pivot to something like that? How do you, I mean, it had to be devastating. And I know the restaurant industry, for instance, has uh, 11 million employees and that doesn't count uh, businesses that supply things to the restaurant industry and, and it provides over a half a million, uh, provides over 11 million jobs, I'm sorry, and 500,000 uh, restaurants in the New York area. And it, it must be devastating to have to lay off employees, yeah. have, to, have to tell people that um, uh, the things that they were doing for their entire lives, they can't. And, and a family business and a business that you started so long ago has been so devastated. Have you done anything to try to pivot and try to get, uh, try to adjust until we get back to a normalcy?
1: Yeah, the f- the first thing we did, Howard, is back in April we launched something called At Home with Newman's Kitchen, was a direct to consumer delivery business. Um, we were able to keep it running for about two months before the handwriting was on the wall, May and June, when. Not only had people left the Hamptons, but the city, there weren't enough people in the city to support it, so we shut it down. The viable businesses today, the catering businesses that are doing better than others are the ones that had a direct-to-consumer and more of a social um, angle to them. So there are caterers who, I would never use the word thriving, but surviving better than some businesses like ours. We were, we were really a B2B company servicing mostly companies on daily services and special events. So for us, it's been particularly devastating. And there is really no pivot right now. We had done meals for the National Guard. We had done meals for hospitals. But that work, you know, lasted a month or two early on. And there hasn't been a a lot of activity since then. So we've basically furloughed the entire company in New York. And in Philadelphia, we are running a skeleton crew and doing a little bit of social catering and, and not even parties, but feeding families, well-to-do families who can afford it.
0: And, Alan, as an operator of catering facilities, uh, have you fared any better? Has, uh, what have you been able to do to adapt to this new reality?
2: Actually, I think I've fared a, l- fared a little worse.
0: Um, <laughs> Doesn't sound like you could do much worse than Paul's doing. I, Alan, I feel better. All <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, right.
2: <laughs> The reason that we haven't is because we're a location, you know, Gotham hall, Ziegfeld ballroom, both midtown Manhattan locations. And we don't take our show on the road. We didn't even have an opportunity to try and reach out and deliver food to guests. That's not what we do. We're actually venues. So people need to come to us. I've done four events at Gotham hall since March all four have been a donation to the New York blood center for a blood drive. I have another one on new year's Eve. So, uh, during the day, that's literally what has been in. We've done a couple. We just recently did a feeding for a film crew where they come in and they rent the space because need a lot of square footage to feed the film crews. The film crews right now are actually exempt. Um, and that's where we've focused a little bit of our attention is, trying to pivot is into the movie industry because they're an exempt area currently. And uh, we're trying to uh, host whether it's a shooting, whether it's feeding them and we're not actually doing the food. They have very strict protocols. They have their own bubbles. And uh, so they have their own craft services come in and and feed the crew. Um, We divide the room in half. We do seating, You know, everybody's six feet apart, draping in the middle of the room, divide background people, which used to be called extras, from crew. So we're doing that. We've done some religious services at the Ziegfeld Ballroom, both during the Jewish holidays, um, as well as uh, this past Sunday for a Christmas service for a church. So that's really the extent. Those are the things that are exempted right now um, from you're allowed to gather in those circumstances um, for religious reasons or for the movie industry, but we're not serving food and beverages in that. So if I can't serve food and beverages, there's not a lot of usage for large facilities.
0: Hmm. And let's talk about what government has done or could do to uh, help this industry. I know there's the Restaurant Act, which also would apply to uh, smaller uh, catering um, facilities or, or catering industries. Uh, but can 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 both of you give me an idea of what government action both federal, state, and, and local in New York City could do to help your industries? I know sometimes, like in Florida, uh, things are open. You could have catering, you could have facilities are open, uh, but in New York it's much more restricted. Uh, Paul, what do you think that the government can do on federal, state, and local levels to uh, to help your industry and help your business?
1: Well, given, given this strain between closing and opening and safety and continued spread, the safest thing to do is to actually keep us closed, but give us enough money to allow us to live till things reopen. And, you know, the Restaurant Act that bridge. The, the PP company has been helpful and I'm not turning it down, um, but it really feels like a band aid on a hemorrhage. And it's, you know, the unemployment expires in 11 weeks. That's for us the trigger for when they have to start looking at more support for us. So the uncertainty of when our, when the world opens up again, when the vaccines kick in, when do we hit herd immunity, when do the masks come off. Because I think Alan would agree that we're going to be just before sporting events when Ziegfeld Ballroom and the venues we work in open again is just before sporting events and theater. And that's a long ways off. So what they can do is, is if they're going to keep us shut down, help us get through to the other side and help us have enough money to keep our businesses open and keep our people close to us.
0: Uh, and I, Alan, Alan, let me say, let yeah. me ask you just in a different way. Sure. If the government said, "Okay, you can open up like they do in some some states, you can open up again," do you think that would make a difference? Would people still have a level of trust? Would you still be able to go back to a, a, some kind of a new normal? How how would you? Uh, how do you uh, I think would, that would I would
2: say yes sense? to that. The social clients are um, chomping at the bit. I have a I have a client who's looking at a bar mitzvah in March. Who's saying let's speak right after the first of the year. I really want to do it. And I'm and I'm and I'm hesitant saying, I don't know if I'm allowed to do it, if I will be allowed to do it, but I'm certain sure if I'm allowed to do it, I'd love to host it. So there there are these there are clients and there are people, you know, that are that are ready, willing, and able to do it if they were allowed. Actually, there's been a lot of events in New Jersey that just went over the border because New Jersey was allowing weddings of up to 150 guests. And they just said, okay, I can't do it in New York. I'll go to New Jersey. And and they did them in New Jersey. um, And they held them successfully. Uh, New York, right or wrong, I don't want to pick on the governor here. I think he's done a very good job in a lot of ways. Um, But in other ways, I think that he didn't loosen the reins when he had the opportunity to loosen the reins. And then he kept, you know, he just kept them tight too long. And then it's, it's complicated. I'm not saying there's an easy answer, but, but it made it very difficult without the financial backing. Look, the PPP, the first round, well, everybody thought we'd be back in business September 1st, um, past September 1st, not future September 1st. And, and they said, OK, fine, we'll manage. We'll muddle our way through to September 1st. Well, September 1st came and went, and it got, it got shut down even more. And it became really almost impossible for certain entities that did not have strong financial backing to stay alive. It, it's been very sad for the industry as a whole and not just, you know, the event industry. And I call it the hospitality because it's very far wide in reaching. There are 12 million people in the, in the, in the event business employed across the country. 10 million of them are unemployed. Um, it's, uh, it, the event business has, uh, been, and the, and the restaurants too, they got really screwed, excuse the expression on the restaurant act, not being passed as part of this bill. Um, this, this is, uh, this was, uh, as Paul would say, a Shonda.
0: <laughs> the, yeah. the, the future, because one day we're going to be past this, the vaccine, I think people result, think of it as the savior. But one day we're going to be past this. Whether that is in, in the spring or in the fall, uh, that remains to be seen. It's probably going to be a gradual kind of a change. But do you see that there's going to be, uh, for instance, Alan, a lot less uh, facilities that are able to operate, that some have gone out of business and won't be able to come back then? Or do you think things are going to go back to uh, just back to normal as uh, if this pandemic never happened. I don't
2: know if it's going back to normal, as if this pandemic ever happened, very quickly. Um, I don't think we know who's not reopening until you reopen, because there's no way of knowing um, whether a place is going to reopen or not. I, you know, I, I hear about hotels and ballrooms that are not reopening, and they're and they're catering and banquet facilities. They're just keeping them shut. Um, it's there's no there's no there, there's just really no way of knowing until we know um, who's open and who's not open. I don't think that there's a. I do think though that there are going to be opportunities for people who have not been in the hospitality industry or who have a lot of money sitting on the sidelines. I think there are going to be opportunities in the next six to twelve months to swoop in and grab a place or two um, in the, in a new estab- and establish and reopen a place. Or, um, you know, there's always new money out there. And I think mm-hmm. that some people are going to be looking for new money because they're going to need it.
0: And, and uh, Paul, how do you see uh, your business post-pandemic? Do you think that caterers are all going to come back and we're going to be doing exactly what you were doing before, or are things going to change?
1: I think there are changes. I think there are temporary changes and permanent changes, and that's what we're trying to sort through. The business that we used to be in, serving Advertising agencies and law firms on a daily basis. I think that's going to change. I think they're not going to want platters of food. They're going to want individual meals. And I think that that may be more difficult for us to achieve than what we used to do. Long term, I think there are going to be fewer people physically in offices. Populations are going to go down. At the same time, I think that companies may need to use food to bring people back to the office and keep them in the office so that the perks that are taken for granted at places like Google and Facebook, the free food, you know, the sort of concierge level of taking care of employees may spread to other companies that are competing for talent. Long-term changes. I'm not sure. I think the event business comes back. I think similar to 9-11 and the TSA there will be agencies around safety and you know, preventing the spread of not just this virus, but future viruses, making sure that the world is safe for sporting events and special events. Um, but I definitely think there's going to be a weeding out of weaker players. Um, and I think there's going to be a reshuffling of the services that we're asked to provide. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what we're just trying to sort through now is asking ourselves, what Do we want to be in, and what businesses will we be asked to be in, and how do they overlap?
2: Yeah, Paul. I'm going to jump in here. If anybody's ever been in Paul's commissary, it's it is it was built for a virus. It is the cleanest, most it's the it's 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 hospital it's hospital sanitary. You can't walk into the kitchen without a hairnet on. You have to put booties on your feet. Everything there's wash stations every six feet. I mean, it's built for sanitation, as is catering, as our catering. That's what we do. We, you know, food industry has been safe all along because we've had to be, and we're ready for this. We're ready to welcome back people. And I do think, sort of, saying we're law firms might use that food. I think this season's holiday parties in December of 2021 can be a, a gigantic season. I think people really need to get back into. The fundraising business in the fall, they're going to have big events. Um, can the guest count be a little off on a fundraising event? Because maybe the American Cancer Society's constituent might be might feel a little compromised and might end up doing a hybrid event where some guests are home and we're delivering food to their home as well as some on-site and they're doing this hybrid event that so it's part virtual, part on-site. Yes, but I think those firms that the advertising agencies, the law firms, the accounting firms, I think they're going to have big events. Even if not everybody's in the office, it's a wonderful way of getting everybody together.
0: Now, yeah. something that concerns me is that uh, while I think the, uh, the, the personal affairs are going to come back, people are going to want weddings and bar mitzvahs and such, but I'm concerned that for businesses uh, that the virtual meetings are not going to all go away. That it's changed a new reality, so that while people may come and do conventions, it's not going to be the same way. And I, and I I think that uh, as to Paul's point that there's going to be less people in offices. I am concerned that there may be uh, less event business business events on the business side. There'll be less events uh, that are taking place in person and and more virtually, which would be certainly a negative to your business. What do you think about that, Alan? Uh, Yeah, I
2: I think that the virtual, and I use the term hybrid because I do think that there is a potential that there be some lower guest counts on site, but that doesn't mean that there are going to be nobody on site. So instead of having this nonprofit gala or corporate event that had 500 guests at it, Maybe there's only 350 in attendance or 400 people in attendance and 100 or 150 decided to write their check or just stay home. But they could participate because there's still the live feed going on. Um, and that's the hybrid event. Um, I think that's a, that's a real possibility through all of 2022. I really do. Uh, and maybe beyond Um think about it. I live in Germany and I wanted to attend the event the, and I'm in a corporate office for a law firm and we have a German office and a, an a office in, in Singapore. Well, maybe they're not flying in now. Maybe they're staying back in their offices and, and they participate virtually. That's very possible for a long time.
1: Yeah. I, Paul, I also think, think well, I think one of the things we've learned from this is that Fundamentally, we are social creatures, and we thrive on face-to-face contact and hugging and shaking hands and seeing each other. So I think there's a tremendous need to be back together um, safely, and and that will drive that will drive some of the people off of the Zoom meetings and into the face-to-face. I do believe that Zoom is here to stay, and virtual meetings are here to stay. But that there the the other force at play here is our need to be together as creatures I mean this is biological right we need we need to be around each other that is just how we're built and and I think there'll be a new balance and I think that there will be fewer face to face meetings um and it's certainly a concern to us about what how people use meetings um one of our clients for the last 25 years has been the Council on Foreign Relations, and they're a fabulous client. They're basically a conference center for journalists and people involved in international affairs. Their population skews, you know, towards seniors, and they're going to be very slow in bringing people back. And, and you know, 2021, 2022, who knows? When there'll be 150 people having lunch in, in the Peterson room or uh, doing weddings upstairs in the Rockefeller room, we, we just don't know when they will open up again, and that they you know they're kind of emblematic of a client who will bring their people back more slowly than we would like, or you know more slowly than even their people would like.
2: Paul, I agree with you. I think it is a little bit of age-specific, and that's why I think weddings and bar mitzvahs and social will be back much quicker than some of the older skewed demographics.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: The um, you know I I I I, I did a, uh, a podcast with the HVAC industry, H uh, uh, heating, air conditioning, and ventilation. Yeah. I'm sorry, industry, and uh, you know there at the other end of it, they've actually found that ventilation, which people never really cared about much, uh, has now become uh, a huge business, and it's booming. It is.
2: I actually installed um, MERV 13 air filtration systems in both locations immediately. Yeah,
0: that's that's uh, what I was getting to, uh, the uh, the costs of, of this, because I would think that, that every facility um, is going to want to or need to uh, have these systems, which I, I'm told—I don't know this for a fact—but I'm told, would actually uh, be effective against uh, COVID-19 and, and other pandemics. Although I don't know if that's been scientifically proven, that's what they claim. Uh, that everyone's going to be increasing their ventilation systems. Uh, so, what I what I would like to both of you to address is how is your cost going to increase? Uh, post-pandemic when you get back to business? Are there going to be tremendous increases and are you going to be able to pass those increases in costs to your customers? I'll
2: take that a, first. It's an interesting yeah. question. Um, some of the costs will need to be passed along and others won't be able to be. So, for example, if my costs increase because all of my staff needs to wear masks and gloves and those types of things, th- those are... Well, Yes, it does add up. I'm I'm not saying it doesn't, but those are things that are part of doing business. On the flip side of it, if it gets to a point where you have a, a, a COVID vaccine passport and everybody needs to show that when they walk in the door and there are guests that aren't, you need to be ready to have an instant test on site in order to gain entrance. Well, that's not a cost that can be absorbed by anybody other than the host. So the host might, you know, that is something that obviously is gonna be talked well in advance. It's not gonna be sprung up on the moment notice, but maybe we need to have a doctor and registered nurses on site to ins- to administer an, an instant test where we have a waiting room where people have to wait with masks on and can't have any food and beverage until they're cleared to come in because their test was was negative and they're able to enter because they didn't yet get a vaccine. That's conceivable, and those types of costs can't just be absorbed by a location or a caterer. That's that's a host cost.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and Paul, what
0: do you? What hey, are well, I
1: think right? I think a number of things are going to happen. One of them is that as guest counts shrink at given venues like Gotham, Ziegfeld, or any of the venues we work in, our per guest price has to go up. Because we're covering some fixed costs, regardless of the number of people. So I think the per-guest cost could go up because guest counts are shrinking. And then there will be costs that we will eat, as Alan points out. And there will be costs that we have to pass along. And, and some of them are about testing and safety. Um, and some of them are about what things cost us to make. We have a kitchen that was designed to do X amount of business. If we're doing a fifth of X for a year, uh, we can't raise our prices to offset that, but we have to figure out how to, how to stay alive covering our overhead with a much smaller revenue base. And, And so one of the things we're doing is actually looking at finding people to come in and share the cost, whether they're producing, obviously we don't need other caterers in here, but people producing food for other purposes or, people we can produce food for so it's it's there is you know uncertainty I think one of the things we've done here is learn to live with a level of uncertainty that was unimaginable before this and so we've calibrated in uncertainty and now we're trying to calibrate in what it's going to cost us and we still don't have the answers we need in order to definitively say this will cost X and this will cost Y.
2: you know there's a little issue there though because some of the clientele not everybody is a successful lawyer or a successful accountant and there's some been some pushback for us on pricing on future mm-hmm. events because they're saying they're saying x they're saying y my spouse is no longer employed or certain certain areas mm-hmm. and and there's this double-edged sword because you, we need to drive the price a little higher but the consumer is now pushing back maybe even a little more than they have some of them because they're like well the guy down the street will do it for less Yep. OK, fine. The guy down the street is always going to be able to do it for less, but you're not going to get with the quality down the street as you would with us. So those are things that you have to balance. Um, right. It's it's a, it's going to be complicated through twenty twenty one for for a lot of people still. It's not automatically going to be this. Oh, this magic wand and all of a sudden everybody's vaccinated. and Everybody goes back to exactly the way they were It's not going to be that fast. Um, I do hope. I, I use the barometer of Broadway. I really do. For me, Broadway is we're open. And I'm hoping that Broadway is up and running, whether it's a play that opens up in July or August or a musical that opens up in September. Once the house starts to come back and Broadway is open, I think people will have this you Know the breathe, the that deep sigh of relief to say, okay, we're back. I, I think that's a big thing, Broadway, actually. Hmm.
1: Well, and and a, in, yeah, in terms of, of your market, is also a issue yeah. is when will people feel yeah. safe moving on trains? I, I think that's correct. Right. I'm sorry, how would you go?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's true. I, I, I Alan touched on on marketing, uh, which I, I'd like you both to address. Uh, you know, in the past, you'd market on that you have a, a, a you can provide unique food. You provide a, a great experience to people. Is your marketing now going to have to be focused towards, or at least include, to a large extent, the um, I don't want to call it sanitary because you've always been sanitary, but COVID uh, uh, you know issues that, that people can feel safe. Is that going to become a part of your marketing uh, uh, strategy? I,
2: it has already. Um, you know we have on our websites right now MERV 13 air filtration systems installed. Um, You know, in the very beginning, uh, you used to have it where the cleaning people were always there, but never seen. We always hid them. We didn't want them out front. You know, we wanted them around. If someone dropped something, they were there to clean it up right away. You know, they were never front and center. Now, the greeters are going to be the six cleaning people with masks and spray guns and welcoming (laughs) you to your party. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's completely opposite. We used to hide them. Now they're out front. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's, you know, and that's going to be out there for a while. I mean, you know, yeah, you're right. We've always been clean. We've always been sanitary. We had to, we have the health department, we have all of these things. We've always been that anyway. Um, But now it's, it's a little bit to that nth degree because, the guest cares about it now when before they didn't always care about it they didn't My, think about yeah. it as
1: much i think Paul, that's, what i think yeah. i think it's going to be in our marketing for a time and then it will be assumed just as food safety is assumed and that people people are tired of it already and they they, they will be looking to make sure you check the boxes but at some point it will fade in importance because it will be assumed that we're all in compliance. And as the world becomes safer, you know, I dream of mask burning parties, right? This is what I think. <laughs> yeah, right. I I really envision a moment where people like light a fire and throw their masks in symbolically saying this is over. Um, and and that that is the moment where I think that the marketing switches back to the emotional things, um, the food, the service, the experience, as opposed to Am I safe, or am I not safe? Inviting my guests to Gotham, Ziegfeld, or anywhere else?
0: Well, before we conclude, uh, I wanted to give you both an opportunity. So I'd like to to end in some something upbeat. Can you tell me something upbeat or or uh, optimistic, at least for the future, uh, that you see happening that would give people in this industry uh, hope that uh, that that we're going to get back? Uh, Paul, what do you say? Anything you can say positive? Yeah, I mean, I think the world will return to normal. And
1: I think that this pandemic has shown a spotlight on some things that have been hidden for a long time that hopefully we will deal with culturally uh, and politically that have needed to be dealt with for a long time. So hopefully we come out of this better, safer, healthier, and eventually economically stable again.
2: And
0: Alan, anything uh, you'd like to add to that?
2: Yeah, that I, I second that motion, Paul. And there's one other thing, which, you know, uh, we look at pace and our bookings. I have more weddings booked in, in 2022, as far as this far out, than I've ever had before. We're, you know, in New York City... It's not a, it's it, typically the bride is not 24. They're typically 32. So there's a shorter window of time. It's not like a catering hall in New Jersey or Westchester and they're booking it a year and a half out. There's typically a six months, nine months, maybe a year lead time. I have a lot of events booked in 2022 already. So that l- leads me to believe that um, that th- the sun is rising, and, and that that we are gonna turn that corner and the vaccine's going to get to everybody and and people are ready to go out there and have a good time again and uh and that uh and, and that's my wish for everybody you know and the positive that's happened out of all of this for us is that all of my competitors when we formed the the banquet event strategic task force we were no longer competitors we were all in this together and that's been a positive that the people who were who were my competitors are now my friends and uh and, and i and i and i take a lot of, and I, and that means a lot to me
0: well i, I want to thank both of you I, I think this has been a very informative uh podcast i think uh people are going to you know, take away a lot and uh and i think we're able to to give a little hope that uh we actually there is light at the end of the tunnel and and uh and things will get better and uh Uh, There is a a future that's uh, not like the present. And I I agree with uh, Paul that uh, he wants to burn the mass. I would like to see... A time when we look at those masks and say, "Remember, we had to wear those things? Boy, that was a long time ago." That's what <laughs> I don't have to burn them. Oh, well, you, got, but, you uh, have to come up
2: with a, uh, a way to maybe make yeah. s'mores with a, bat, a mask burn at the table top. <laughs>
1: right, right. <laughs> we'll make graham well,
0: crackers in the shape of masks. Right. Well, I, I want to thank everyone for listening, and, and um, uh, if anyone wants any further information, uh, uh, I would suggest contacting Tony Ann. That's T O N I. A-A-N-N-E at the strategic or myself at Getz Fitzpatrick, 212 695 8100, extension 334, and we can put you uh, in touch with uh, our guests today, either uh, Alan or uh, Paul. And uh, I want to thank you for participating and thank both of you again. And um, uh, let's be safe and let's get through this all together. Thank you. Pleasure. Happy New Year. Bye bye.